0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the Conversation Hour.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: As we start to shut down coal mines around the state, what will communities be left with? They're huge and cavernous areas that can often be dangerous, even highly flammable. And we saw that back in 2014 when the disused coal mine that's attached to Hazelwood Power Station, just outside of Morwell, it caught fire and that fire burned for 45 days. But many communities from Anglesey to Gippsland are looking at ways to bring coal mines back to life mine rehabilitation. The idea that you can maybe fill it with water, you can do all sorts of things, but there's still a lot to be learnt about what is safe and what can be achieved. What are the benefits and what are the dangers in trying to rehabilitate a coal mine? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Matilda Marozzi from ABC Features. Matilda, the idea that you can rehabilitate a coal mine, you know, bring it back to life in some way. And when you look at some of the websites that are working on this, you'd be, I guess, fooled into thinking that it could be a huge tourist destination where you can swim and quite a glamorous place. But there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of water under the bridge, if you don't mind the pun, because it feels like it's early days of this type of research. Absolutely, Rochelle. And the
2: scale of the task Mm. is enormous. We've got in Victoria, Hazelwood, which needs to be rehabilitated. There's a coal mine in Anglesey. Your lawn is due to shut in the coming years. And I think there's 17 coal mines that are expected to close in New South Wales in the next two decades. So there's a lot of work to be done. And it could be an opportunity mm. for us here in Victoria, but I wonder, will the investment be there to actually make this rehabilitation project one that could be world-leading and, and uh, opportunity for the community for jobs and also to make a a nice space for them to be living near.
1: And it's not as simple as filling it with water because we know that, well, some of the mines that we have are already below sea level and continually fill with water that needs to be drained. There's lots of issues and toxicity that comes along with that. But as you say, it could be an opportunity for local habitat, you know, to bring back particular areas of wildlife. Maybe it could be a tourist destination. But I wonder how much the community is being told about what the options are, you know, how long it's going to take, what sort of jobs will be involved long term as well. And you know, how long will it take to rehabilitate? I could imagine that this would be a lifelong project. You know, it's not just something that you go, okay, that's done now, excellent, let's move on. Yeah, it's interesting. That the project at Anglesey where
2: they're rehabilitating an uh, old Alcoa mine, it's called the Eden Project. And on their website, the uh, the images that they've done up, the renderings look amazing, like some tropical oasis is kind of... is trying to be, you know, Eden is trying to evoke. It says, set within the landscape of the Anglesey Heath, it showcases a vision to transform an area within the former coal mine into a destination for immersive education and experiences which celebrate the local ecology and tell a story of sustainability. So it sounds amazing and it looks amazing, the renderings. Looks like a lovely place to go and and a destination, as you said, for tourists. But I, I wonder how close the final outcome will look to those renderings and if the community are believing the story that's being told to them by the well, people. How much of the story it?
1: is being told to them and where does that water come from as well? So the impact on the other river systems of communities, that's something that I know people are starting to already be a little bit concerned around. But it could be incredible. It could be a massive opportunity. And in Victoria, maybe we could be the blueprint for how you rehabilitate a coal mine. So do you live in an area where a coal mine is being closed or will be closed? And what would you like to see done with the site? Have you received any information around the possibilities? Do you feel like your community is informed enough?
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Matilda Morozzi, with you. We're looking at coal mine rehabilitation. And over the next decade or two, there will be a lot of coal mines, not just here in Victoria and Australia, but around the world that will get shut down. So it'll be interesting, Matilda, to see who learns from who, what works, what doesn't, and what's safe and what the community want. Because these are huge, huge cavernous areas. So where do you begin to think about, oh, what? else could we do with this site?
2: Yeah, and to fill it with either backfill it with either some kind of soil or dirt or to backfill it with water. Just the amount of water or soil that would be required is enorm- enormous. So um, Yeah, we're looking at those challenges in Victoria. But as you said, globally, people are looking at it and you wonder who's doing well and who's not doing as well. So we'll we'll try and find
1: out the answer to some of those questions over the next 50 minutes. So someone who's been looking into it is Rachel Williamson. She's a business and science journalist with Cosmos magazine and Renew Economy. Rachel, you've just come back from spending some time in Hazelwood. But I guess first things first, can you try and explain to us what mine rehab, what mine rehabilitation is?
3: Uh, sure. Good morning, Michelle and Matilda. So, mine mine rehabilitation is when you, you know, self-explanatory. Take an old uh, mine and um, repurpose it to return it to the community. And as you've covered, there are a variety of different methods that you can use. But pit lakes are around the world, this is a tried and true technology that has been used for decades. Um, It is a tried and true method that um, works and has been shown to work. It has also been shown to not work, but, uh, you know, done right, it can work.
2: So can you tell us about some of the global examples where things have gone wrong when they've tried to fill these cold mines and make them into lakes?
3: Oh, I'll tell you about the worst. This is the one that is held up around the world as what not to do. And it, it is isn't the U.S. It's in Butte, Montana, and it's the Berkeley Pit. Uh, it was an old copper mine. It is a big, huge hole in the ground in a mountain. Um, it was closed in 1982, and the company just walked away. They didn't do anything. In the U.S. now, new mines um, have to be backfilled with solid material, I believe, but back then, they were gone. What that meant is that slowly over time, it has filled with water, and that water is irreversibly contaminated with sulfuric acid, with copper, with arsenic, with cadmium, all leaching in from the surrounding rock. And it has created this toxic, toxic brew that is so deadly that they have to keep migrating birds off it with cannons because, uh, for example, flocks of migrating snow geese keep coming to try and land on this lake and their way from north to south or south to north and then just dying on this. Mm. And the only way that the US EPA, the only course of action for that uh, former mine is for the EPA to pump out and treat that water forever. That is, with the technology that we have, with the money that we have, the only possible thing that they can now do. So that is a once
1: not to do. So when you're in Hazelwood, and I know you've just come back from spending some time there, and we'll actually speak to Environment Victoria and the community representation of of Gippsland for uh, EV in in just a moment. But what ideas are being thrown around in terms of what they can do, what they shouldn't do? I mean, did any of the, the locals talk to you about what information they're being given, Rachel?
3: At the moment, it doesn't sound like people are be given much information because ONG uh, is being, uh, now must go through, as of February, a state environmental effects statement. And so that means that over the next sort of three to four years, they are going to need to produce a lot of information and they are now um, restricting what information, of the studies that they've already done um, because they're going to be using that for that EES. And the federal government is also looking at it under the um, Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. So there's not actually that much information that's out there except for Angie's proposed plan, which is to cap the ash pit, it's called the Hazelwood Ash Retention Area, and then to fill the entire thing with water. Uh, But there are other options out there. And these are the sort of options that uh, Environment Victoria people that Mm. I spoke to and Friends of the Trobe Valley suggested. You could partially fill it. You could fill the entire thing. Um, Those are probably the only two that you could do because of the geology of the area. It needs to be filled with something.
2: Rachel Williamson is a business and science journalist. We'll come back to you in a second, Rachel, but I wanted to speak to Zoe in Altham. Good morning, Zoe. Oh, hello. Nice to talk to you. What was, what was your question? Oh, I'm just interested in the Anglesey, um, the rehabilitation of the mine there and just how it's being funded. Um, it, it, do the mining companies really have to put in the money to make sure that these mm. places are rehabilitated for the community or... Do they try and weasel out of it by palming it on to other organisations um, that are then user, you
1: know, they basically like a user pay situation? Yeah, it's a very good question, Zoe. And Rachel, I know that you've sort of looked into the differences of who pays for this and how we're looking or the expectations of private enterprise here, how much they're expected to pay versus overseas. So... The big picture of mine rehabilitation and the ongoing work that it will take, because i always got a really good question, who pays for that?
3: Well, it's supposed to be the companies who pay. Um,
1: but, you know,
3: as we're seeing in the US, you get abandonment of science um, because it's uh, certain rules there make it very expensive. But in Australia and in Victoria in particular, the companies are supposed to pay for everything. Um there are some problems with that. So you mentioned New South Wales earlier. Um, the government uh, only had, uh, this was a couple of years ago, the government only had about $3.3 3 in environmental bonds, and the Australia Institute thinks it'll cost 20 to $25 billion to fill those cold wars. So, you know, the company is supposed to pay, but there's a chance in future mm. that something's going to go awry. And Rachel, I just
2: wondered, uh, you you know, they're essentially big holes in the ground. Why not just fill them back in with dirt? Why isn't that the more popular option? It seems like it should be safe to do.
3: This is what I asked as well. But uh, I was speaking to one of the engineers down at Hazelwood and he said to fill the Hazelwood void, you would need 2.5 billion cubic metres of solid material. Now, the question is, where do you get that? Because where does that amount of mm. material come from
2: and how much does it cost i guess as well well thank you so yeah. much for joining us rachel williamson is a business and science journalist with cosmos magazine and renew economy my name is matilda marozzi and i'm with Rochelle hunt talking about mine rehabilitation marita joins
4: us from Anglesey. good morning marita oh uh, good morning Uh, About the Eden Project, it seems like uh, a great big huge con job is being pulled on the people of Anglesey who are, unfortunately, they're very uh, receptive to what they want to hear. Uh, From what I uh, can ascertain, uh, Eden Capital is... um, not much more than a trumped-up venture capitalist uh, rent-seeking uh,
1: greenwashing crowd. So, what um, were you told, Marita? Look, we yeah, have asked now, multiple yeah. people from the Eden Project to be a part of today's program, and they didn't have anybody that was available to us. But oh, as a well, as a you go. as a local, you go. as a local, yeah. how much input yeah. do you have yeah, around yeah. how it can uh, be used and yeah. what it can be done?
4: Yeah. Well, uh, about. Uh, addressed uh, about that bit, though, that you have said. They put on, basically, their information session was basically a sound and light show, uh, all these, uh, you know, glitzy... um uh with all that uh, uh chert colored um and sandstone colored concrete, uh so called environmentalism. For heaven's sakes, we are running out of accessible sand from which we can make concrete anyway. Uh imagine the absorption of heat in a place of Anglesey that'll call cool us. But anyway, a sound and uh, light show was the uh uh sort of there was the information. So you felt session. like there was a lot of glitz
1: yeah. and glamour, but not a lot of substance.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they had a town hall type meeting, uh, they wouldn't have done that because uh, you've always got the um, smart Alex uh, who are going to ask them, uh, uh, put them on the spot. Uh, but also, um, uh, even filling um, like pressure, like pressure in itself, never mind um, sort of disturbance of the soil, mm-hmm. uh, causes uh acidification, sorry, uh, of the river and so forth, and also just the pressure causes um, acid mine drainage. Like even, um, like, fill up a, you know, uh, pick up a bucket of water and how heavy is it, it is even turning uh, the pit into a lake that can mm. cause acid mine uh, drainage in uh, in respect to the yeah. water.
1: Yeah and we're going to speak to Environment Victoria and just a tick Marita about you know how simple is it just to fill a big cavernous space with water where do you get that water from what impacts does it have on the rest of the river system not only the water that's in the mine itself. Marita good to hear from you if you live in Anglesey or Gippsland or in an area where a coal mine is potentially going to be rehabilitated what do you want done with that. What sort of information would you like to get? Alicia says. I'd love to see old Hazelwood mine site stabilised with earthworks and then turned into a large lake with rowing facilities, the only purpose-built rowing event venue in the state, like the International Rowing Centre in Penrith. Only flood and drought-proof, it could attract significant and new investment in the sporting and rowing in the east of the state, provide a lucrative pathway for tertiary scholarships, also whilst helping change the perceived industrial image of the Latrobe Valley. I wonder if that would be possible because, I mean, Alicia, that sounds great. And as a (laughs) Latrobe Valley girl, right, I would love for something like that to happen. But I wonder how possible it would be to turn it into something as specific as a purpose-built rowing site. And how safe it would be
2: to row in it if you happen to fall in and stuff like that it was interesting marita was quite critical of the eden project Rochelle, we have some text messages from people in the area who seem to have more confidence in the project patricia from geelong has said the eden project in cornwall is a shining example the one on the coast here is based on that and there's another text message saying yes check out the eden project in cornwall was a clay pot not coal mine but is extraordinary what has been done so It's a lot about the, not just the vision and the plan, but if locals have confidence. The real plan yeah. and
1: what's going to actually happen. So, lots of people saying, Come on, who should be paying for this? Surely the mining companies should be paying for this. And others saying it will just be turned into landfill. Well, Hayley Sestokas is the Latrobe Valley Community Organiser for Environment Victoria. And we heard from Rachel Williamson just before, Hayley, around community consultation and the ideas of what's expected to be done with the multiple coal mine sites in the Latrobe Valley. I guess first things first, what would you like to see done with these sites as they shut down?
5: Uh, Hi, Rachel. Um, Rochelle, sorry. Um, The community would love to see that these sites can actually be, um, first first and foremostly, like, non-polluting. We... It's really hard at this stage to know what is the best outcome for each of these three mines because at this stage the only the only option that's been put forward to us is the full pit lake.
2: And Hayley, I wonder has there been much consultation with the community as to like different options that might be available and what would be best for the community or has there not been
5: a lot of engagement? Um Basically, if you turn up to an information session, you're going to get sold the pit lake. Um, What's really lacking is uh, investigation into a range of alternatives, like the the half pit lake. Um, But the other problem that sort of happened early on was that uh, this pit lake option was sort of sold to the community as, you know, a recreational facility, as just heard one caller, you know, would love to see rowing on it. Um, But the constraints around the um, geology and the the pollution in these sites haven't actually been conveyed fully. So the community in some instances has kind of got their hopes up as to what Mm. these sites are going to be without actually understanding that there's a whole bunch of other problems like um, the coal ash dam that's situated inside the site and uh, heavy metal
1: pollution there's plenty of texts, and we'll get to some of the other solutions that you think you know. Maybe you would prefer to see Haley, but there's a text here from Denise in Ballarat that says, "Where does the water come from to create these lakes?" And that's a fairly complicated question, Haley.
5: Yeah, this this is a really big question, and this is probably the biggest question. So, at the moment, we've got the three operators of each of the three major mines in the Latrobe Valley all proposing full pit lakes, and the study that we have to date. Um, sorry, and, and each of those three operators wants to draw that water from natural resources, so either the river system or groundwater. And that's basically because it's the cheapest option. And rehabilitating these pit lakes, as pit uh, in this way, is the cheapest option, and that's what's been put forward. But the study that the um, Latrobe Valley Regional Rehabilitation Strategy put together actually shows that in a projected drying climate, that water doesn't actually exist, and. Our rivers, the La Trobe River System, Gitsland Lakes, are currently in a state of terminal decline. So we really need more environmental flows, water being returned to those rivers, not the other way around, mm. being drawn out. And Hayley, your group
2: campaigned for greater scrutiny over the rehabilitation project. Can you tell us what's happening at the moment? Uh, over which, sorry? Uh, I think environmental effects statement over the rehabilitation project of Hazelwood.
5: Yeah, yeah. So we have been advocating with other community groups in the region for this environmental effects statement process and, and the federal scrutiny, which we um, got uh, with the water trigger just a couple of months ago. Um, originally, we were told by, you know, uh, the operators that it wouldn't have to go through this process and it would just, you know, it was a done deal basically. But we've been pushing really hard and our concerns are particularly that coal ash, the which the coal ash dam, which is inside Hazelwood Mine. And we've had an expert, re, independent expert report actually say that if it's to be submerged inside that mine, then it could have really serious consequences right down the river system and into the Gippsland Lakes because that coal ash contains uh, toxic chemicals and heavy metals that are found in coal but in a more concentrated version. And that includes like cadmium, lead, lead, arsenic and mercury so then we end up with more toxic pollutants that part of the other design of the Hazelwood mine rehabilitation is that they want to basically um divert the Morwell River into the pit and then have it flow out into the Latrobe River and get down into the Gippsland Lakes if there's enough water to actually come back out of that pit and move on into the lawn mine, because then they plan to have that the Morwell River running into their pit and out into the Latrobe River system. One we've lost a major tributary into the Gippsland Lakes all that water is now being evaporated out of those pits and two, there's all of that um, toxics that are now mobile in that water, distributed through our environment.
1: It's the classic sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, isn't it? When you're taking water from from one space and putting it into another. Haley, stay That's with nice. us. Owen's call from Gisborne. Good morning. Good morning. What's your idea?
0: Um, again, I don't know how dumb this sounds, but
1: there's no dumb. Like, no, don't worry, I ask dumb questions all the time,
0: Owen. <laughs> how they kind of deal with nuclear waste and sometimes they encase it. Perhaps we could make or start small and start encasing rubbish and it could just become sort of a net importer of Australia's and the world's rubbish and eventually return it to somewhat what it used to be when they're eventually built in.
1: So a type of, of rubbish tip. There's actually quite a few people that are saying, some joking and some not, saying, oh, well, we've got nowhere to put our recycling, you know, we've got nowhere to put our landfill. Could it just be turned into a tip? I mean, that's a pretty awful idea, Haley. but is it one that... Would be taken seriously at all do you think
4: i
5: mean sadly it's one that we hear a lot and like i think people from afar maybe don't actually um get the i get the gravity of what they're suggesting but the hazelwood mine is within you know 100 meters of people's homes and we're talking about a community which has sacrificed their health and their environment to power the state for you know 100 years the fact that the rest, you know, folks from Melbourne want to now use it as a landfill, it's, it, yeah, it, one, it's not, fe- like, it's not technically feasible to then use it as a landfill, but two, it's actually, um, it's quite hard for folks in Old Trade Valley to hear that, that people want to use it as a rubbish tip.
2: And Tom's called from your lawn. Good morning, Tom.
6: Oh, good, afternoon. Oh, good morning. How are you?
2: Good. What, what did you want to say?
6: the problem I see is that when these mines are opened and there's billions of dollars of restoration work required throughout Australia, when these mines are open, there's no significant bond applied and a lot of these companies are overseas investors that have gone by the wayside now and there's no money there to mm-hmm. fix these billion dollars, it's billions of dollars. I, I did a master's degree in environmental planning a few years ago and I did a, a case study on it and there's at literally billions of dollars of mine restoration work needs to happen throughout Australia and there's no money and and the reason I call today is what concerns me is we've got um, a whole lot of solar panels and wind turbines that have got about a 20-year lifespan. I think solar panels and and wind turbines have got the potential to be our new mining. I think it's going to be a massive clean-up bill because they're not recyclable. So we, we should have learned from the problems with mining um, and and have bonds, and, and if somebody leases yeah. land or, or builds these things. Are- There should be a bond paid so they're responsible for the mess.
1: And the idea of what that transition looks like for locals. And just finally, Tom, as someone who is a local who lives in your lawn, do you feel like you have a voice in these ideas, in the consultation process? And when we're talking about a coal mine rehabilitation, whatever line that looks like down the track, that is something that you and your children's children will live with forever, for generations. Do you feel like you're being consulted? No. There you go. No, pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward answer. Good on you, Tom. Great to hear from you. Let's go back to you, Haley. I mean, look, Tom was talking about the future and the transition being solar. But strangely, and I know you and I were talking about this off air, there is a way to combine the two, isn't there? Because one of the options that's not being presented to locals is the idea of floating solar in the old mine pits. How would that work?
5: Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a little bit of a pipe dream at this stage because the, the pits themselves actually have to be rehabilitated. It's probably going to take about 20 years to get to that point. So if the technology is still um, rele- relevant and, and be wanting to use floating solar, then that could happen. But essentially, um, if the pit was not of a standard that we would be able to use it for recreational and swimming, then I think one of the good options we could um, present is actually using it to create more energy and I think that the community would be quite proud and happy of being able to utilise that space to to continue to produce energy.
2: Haley Sestokas is the Latrobe Valley Community Organiser with Environment Victoria and Haley, I just would love for you to describe the scale of the Hazelwood site. I'd read that at 130 metres, it isn't the deepest but with a void spanning 1,281 hectares across, it may be the vastest attempt globally to rehabilitate a site. How big is Hazelwood and and how big is the job of trying to rehabilitate this vast area of land?
5: It's it's monumental really and I think one way we could describe it is if people are familiar with Melbourne CBD, you could pick up the whole of Melbourne CBD and put it into this pit.
1: Wow!
5: Um, it's it's phenomenal, and as you drive through the Latrobe Valley along the highway, you just see these mines on either side. So, rehabilitating that one mine is massive, but then having three of them to rehabilitate is it's a, often called a wicked problem, and in order to actually resolve these problems it's going to be a series of trade-offs which is why we, we we want all of the options on the table we want them thoroughly investigated and the community needs to be able to genuinely participate in that.
1: And I think so many times, and maybe I'm slightly biased as a La Trobe Valley girl, but I feel like the community isn't consulted and that La Trobe Valley residents aren't given the respect and the voice that they need in comparison to other parts of the state. And this is a chance to do something incredible if done right. And just finally, I'd like to read you this text, Hayley. It says, mine restoration might actually become a billion dollar business if someone can develop it in an effective strategy that's inclusive of community needs and environmental protection and that pretty much sums it up if it's done right with the community in mind and with the environment in mind and not with big business profits in mind it could be amazing not just for the latrobe valley but for the entire state of victoria
5: yeah that's right and that's really our vision as well is that we actually have an opportunity to become world leaders in this in this thinking and we can export these skills to the rest of the world the challenges that we face
1: hayley thanks so much for your time some love the work that's being done in the Anglesey area. This, and we did invite Alcoa and the Eden Project to be a part of today's program. No one was available, but this text says Alcoa is doing a fantastic job in the rehabilitation of the Anglesey mine site. The process to date of revegetation is amazing. Many of the indigenous plant species are reappearing, and the plans to make this area an environmental showcase should be encouraged. The consultation pro- process down here has been excellent, and then says, why can't we just leave this as a big giant hole? Uh, I thought that too, Risha, why can't you just leave it? But what I found out in my
2: research is that a lot of these coal pits are below the water table. So they'll naturally fill up with water if you just leave them as a pit, unless you're pumping the water out and that water can be contaminated unless the site has been treated. So unfortunately, leaving them as a hole isn't an option. So you need to fill it in in some way and make it safe whether it be with water which seems to be the most popular option a pit lake or or some kind of soil or, or solid material but it's a good question simon
1: one i was seems like the obvious can you just leave it as a whole and maybe plant around it seems like and then the other thing is too yeah i mean we saw the fire didn't we at, at hazelwood as well from as a result of just leaving it unattended dixon anglesey good morning
7: oh good morning
1: uh, yeah what did you want to say
7: I just want to talk about the process of uh, of um, refilling the Anglesey pit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the it was an the Eden project has put a lot of pressure on Alcoa to sort of accelerate the filling of the pit. So um, we did have some quite good consultation, and one of the issues that came up early and was more or less an ultimatum from the Eden project was that the pit had to be at least half filled by 2024, I think it was. And it's nowhere near that. It's about um, 18% full now. Um, and so in order to fill a pit quickly, Alcoa is uh, proposing to re-extract um, groundwater mm. from, from an aquifer here. And we are fairly convinced and have a fair bit of evidence to suggest that the 50 years of groundwater extraction that was done during the operation of the power station has actually caused a fair bit of environmental damage to our river. So our river has suddenly gone, uh, was highly acidic for three years. So, um, it, we've had a, you know, no fish, so we had a lot of pollution in the river. So what we're thinking is we would like Alcoa to not be pushed into using groundwater, which we think is Mm. you know, causing these uh, acidity problems.
1: Dick, are you a part of the sea uh, Friends of the Local River? I, I probably haven't yeah. met, given the title of that group correctly, but are you a part of that group? Yes, uh, okay. definitely, yeah. And so are you in regular consultation with Alcoa, with the Eden Project? Are you, are you involved in this process in any way?
7: Yeah, with Alcoa, we've, Alcoa has had a few uh, consultation meetings and we as a group, have been meeting with Alcoa to try and understand yeah. and see if our theory is right. But um, we've had no success at all in talking to the Eden Project. And, you know, what? what's sort of ironic here is, here's a project that's all about environmental um, yeah. a- attitudes and th- they're really kind of forcing um, an accelerated... or, you know, to try out this method of continuing extraction of water which, you know, probably does have environmental consequences. And, you know, we just haven't really been able to make any contact with them at all. But Alcoa, we have, yeah.
2: Oh, Dick, thank you so much for your call. That's really interesting, Rochelle, hearing that a local environmental group has had trouble contacting that project and i
1: guess that's part of so the thing I. about
2: <laughs> community you know how, how can you get in touch with the community
1: well, consultation is about transparency mm. isn't it and being able to at least have someone answer your calls or your concerns as well and the impacts on the water that dick was referring to and I mean, that's what Haley was talking about so this is not something that's just subject to the area of Anglesey. it's also something that that concerns the people of the latrobe valley um john has an idea about where we might be able to get the water from hi john
7: Um, Hi there, can you hear me? Yeah, you're on air. Uh, Oh, terrific. Um, It occurred to me, I mean, we've got a desalination plant that was built, what, nearly 10 years ago that has never, ever been used, spent millions and millions of dollars on it. How's that come into the picture in uh, producing the water that we need to have to fill that area?
1: Could be a win-win situation, you reckon. I don't know how simple that would be, John, and whether or not there's enough water, yeah. uh, whether or not it's the right type of water as well. But, you know, these are all the ideas that we've got. Lots of ideas around why can't we just plant lots of trees and native trees and let nature do its thing? Well, Ewan Ritchie is a professor in wildlife ecology and conservation at Deakin University. Ewan, it's very easy in these circumstances to kind of get stuck in the negative and see that it could all go pear-shaped and that big business are just, in know, for profit but as an ecologist is this a huge opportunity could this be something where we could bring habitat back native habitat back
0: look absolutely i think you know the the speakers so far have done a really good job of highlighting that there are issues you know with water quality and and contaminants and so forth and, and we need to definitely pay attention to those but Aside from just coal mines, you know, there's there's tens of thousands of other mines, you know, right across Australia, all, all sorts of mines. And, and it is an opportunity, as you say, to actually think about, well, well, how can we actually use these areas? So ideally, we would restore them. Um, in some cases, we can't bring them back to anything like what they would be, um, you know, their former state. But that doesn't mean that we can't have great, great you know, outcomes for the environment. So, you know, it might actually be even recreating... or or creating a completely different habitat that might be protected by fire as an example so if you have an area that's you know um down in in a a ditch so to speak you know there's big holes that they might actually be protected from fire and we could actually have as an example different types of vegetation that may have disappeared from some areas but species rely upon uh you know we've talked about water and and how that might benefit you know water birds and and amphibians Mm. so frogs and so forth so And then, of course, you might combine that with education facilities, which, of course, is, you know, the ideas with things like the Eden Project overseas, but also, of course, what's been proposed at places like Anglesey and others. So... There's huge opportunities, and we recognise, of course, that one of the challenges we have for conservation in Australia is areas of, of land, yes. essentially, you know, for species. Well, there's a lot of and
1: that so, with coal mines. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there is, and, and again, not just coal mines, but all sorts of mines, you know, even really, really small mines. Um, well, Ewan, you, know, you,
2: um, you raise a good point. In the inner west of Melbourne at Newport, um, a, a former Bluestone quarry and rubbish tip site has been rehabilitated into what's known as Newport Native Lakes, and yep. it's now a 30 Three hectare park. It, it's been revegetated using plants indigenous to the area, and uh, it is now a, an amazing place to go. It feels like you're in the bush, not in the middle of the city when you yep. go there, and there's lots of wildlife. So, it, it is possible to successfully create uh, a native habitat in an area where you know, in the inner west of Melbourne, there's not a lot of that going around. So no, it has that, been a positive yep. in, in that instance. Do you think that could be rolled out to bigger sites potentially, sites as big as Hazelwood?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's going it's to require a lot of resources. Um, you know, mining companies are responsible for rehabilitating areas. But, of course, if private industry, you know, wants to invest in potential facilities, um, then, of course, they, they would presumably also support that that rehabilitation and I think you raise a really important point about people having access to areas you know environments you know so obviously mm-hmm. in urban areas like the more that we can do that great but even in regional areas too, you know providing those those opportunities for people to have those experiences I think are really important but again also for wildlife so you know we have species that are on the brink of extinction and yes. Um, we could look at some of these areas and say, well, could you actually have reintroduced populations in some of these areas that may actually be quite easy to protect from things like feral predators, as an example, or invasive predators? Because, again, they're already kind of... Constructed as a pit or an area that you could easily, you know, contain. Like
1: a Jurassic Park situation. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs>
0: just, just, just without the T-Rex.
1: <laughs> but I, I totally see but what you're saying. You, there is there, opportunity. You know, yeah, yeah, it, it is a big so cavernous site. There's yeah. texts here that say, what about a multi-purpose outdoor recreation zone? Rehabilitation with natives for hiking, rock climbing, plus mountain biking, BMX trails. Riders could fang down the pit across the old tracks <laughs> and have <laughs> some form of gondola to get and back to the top, we could get really creative here. But we could get really creative, and not only could we look at, uh, you know, rehabilitating local species and habitat, yuan, but it would be incredible ongoing work opportunities for lots of different areas, but including those that work in the in the wildlife and ecology sector
0: that's right and there's been studies to show exactly that that there's actually more jobs in uh, restoring and rehabilitating mine sites than there was you know when the mines were operational so you know if we think outside the box about how we can use these spaces uh, for environmental reasons but also for education purposes and recreation opportunities there's huge you know benefits for the economy and for jobs and you know you mentioned before about rock climbing and so forth. You know, some some mines in other parts of the world have been turned into restaurants underground, hotels, um, all sorts of quite um, novel uses, wine cellars, you know, there's there's all these incredible uses that you could potentially combine, of course, um, with environmental benefits as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think just encouraging people to sort of think, um, broadly about what's possible rather than not always thinking, well, how can we get it back to its original state? Because that might not in all cases be possible anyway.
2: Matilda Morozzi and Rochelle Hunt with you on the Conversation Hour and we're talking about mine rehabilitation. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 1300 three hundred triple two seven seven four. You Ewan Ritchie is a professor in wildlife ecology and conservation at Deakin University. Ewan, I wonder, are there any particular Victorian animals that you think could Benefit from rehabilitation of some of our mine sites.
0: Uh, look, there's a there's a whole suite of species that could potentially benefit. I mean, we've got you know species like the, the growling grass frog, which has lo- lost a lot of its habitat. Um, many of our mammal species, of course, unfortunately, are now extinct in, in Victoria. So species like the eastern quoll, um, you know, the um, Tasmanian betong, eastern betong. So there, there's there's species that we could bring back to their former distributions, assuming that the, the, the the, the sites were large enough. And that's an important point that, you know, some of these are really large. You know, we're talking about tens of square kilometres, but in other cases, they're much smaller. So, you know, depending on which species you want to bring back. But, you know, there's a whole range of Victorian species that we can bring back. And, of course, we shouldn't forget about plants as well. Mm. You know, so there's more than... There's more than 1,000 species of threatened plant in Australia, um, and they need our help too. So, you know, if, if we could um, actually rehabilitate some of these sites with threatened species of plants, then th- that would be brilliant as well.
1: Could be incredible. It could be like the world's largest greenhouse, you know, protected space, <laughs> where we could bring all of these things back to life. Ewan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. CEO Ewan Ritchie, professor in wildlife ecology and conservation at Deakin University. Jeff's been waiting patiently in Carlton. Morning, Jeff.
8: Oh, good morning. I just want to uh, paint a, a general picture. I think we should be tremendously grateful for the way our authorities, our companies, our communities and the uh, organisations have all cooperated uh, to set up uh, a system in a difficult situation where the hazards of doing damage are great. And I i'm just a bit concerned that the emphasis or there is an implication that we're not doing the right thing and that the approach is no good i would simply like to add encouragement to the governments the organizations and the communities who have all cooperated tremendously particularly in new lawn to do the right thing so that we've got a pretty good situation and i think if we get add encouragement to them to just keep So, on do you mean
1: encouragement, encouragement by the community, Jeff? To I beg your pardon? Encouragement from who?
8: Well, from uh, programs like this and people ringing in saying, oh, they auto and this. Yes, everyone should keep on keeping on. We can never relax, and floods will happen. But uh, I think we should... So take a positive
1: credit. attitude towards it. Good to hear from you, Jeff. Thank you. Let's go to Dale, who's in Thornbury. Good morning, Dale.
9: Good morning. Uh, I think I've got a really good solution for it. and uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of pumped hydro batteries.
1: No. Uh,
9: we, we use um, uh, wind power and solar power to pump water up to a height and then when the water falls back down again... Uh, generates electricity and it can be just made into a giant battery uh, to back up the power system.
1: So you could use the coal mine site to do that? Yes,
9: the, the, the water in the bottom of the site yeah. just Because it, it keeps coming hill, in, that
1: water in the, the bottom of the, the site continually comes through, so that would be a way to extract the water. Correct, so you,
9: you don't waste the water, you just yeah. pump it up the hill and let it run down again <laughs> and generate electricity. And uh, that would bolster the the entire uh, electricity grid and uh, solve two problems. And uh, all those diggers that have been digging that miner up can be employed to uh, uh, build the higher up dam. So I think it's a wonderful idea. And I think it uh, just strengthens our whole electricity grid.
1: Good to hear from you as well, Dale. Some incredible suggestions coming through. I mean, everything which is quite disturbing from landfill, let's just turn it into a tip, and that's just not one or two suggestions. That's something that's been thrown around a lot, even locally in the Latrobe Valley. But through to, you know, constructed rowing sites and BMX tracks and ways to bring back habitat that's on the brink of extinction, it could be amazing. Absolutely. And in
2: a lot of those suggestions is filling up the pit with water for for different purposes, whether it be a lake or a rowing centre, I think was one suggestion. And we were keen to talk to Brendan Kennedy about that idea. He is a Tati Tati traditional owner and acting chair of Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations. Brendan, thanks for joining us this morning.
10: Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. And it's a really important conversation um, to have
2: yeah Brendan now a lot of these plans to rehabilitate old coal mines is to fill them up with water, and I wonder, does that concern you?
10: yeah, definitely um, you know there'll be so much that's been taken out of that landscape, and you'll find most times that where there is mining um that's happened um. In the environment, that it's usually areas that are important to waterway. And so there'll be waterways either around those sites or, you know, there'll be, they'll either be aquifers or wetlands associated with those sites that have been selected. So, you know, to go and actually dig the whole guts out of that landscape and then refill it just with water. I, I mean, it's, I know, I know we can't, they can't undo what's happened, mm. but still got to come up. And there was a guy speaking earlier there, you know, allowing people who um, have creative ideas mind and minds and, coming up with solutions and, and concepts, but also talking to the traditional owners.
1: Well, that's yeah. right. When we look at Australian mine sites and the percentage of those mine sites that are on Indigenous land or near Indigenous communities, yet, in you know, First Nations people are the most likely not to get financial and economic benefit from those operations. Is this a chance to reverse that so if they were to be rehabilitated in a way side by side with First Nations people could it be done in a way where it's restored in that in a way that you're happy with but also it provides work and opportunity and consistent consultation
10: yeah definitely there'll be and I mean these areas of country will be synonymous for First Nations people in terms of ancestral and creation stories associated with areas, you know, to do with specific species, mm. you know, and as, you know, the public would know our totem, animals. So um, definitely to to take the, you know, the lead role to First Nations people who are relevant to those areas. Um, I've even been contacted in the past about um, by companies who are rehabilitating areas and they, They've sought advice around um, reinstating the dingo um, to those landscapes. The fast track rehabilitation of species, and that's a wonderful idea, albeit the governments aren't, you know, aren't on board. But
1: um, when it I comes guess if it's a controlled space, though, like what Ewan was talking yeah. about, whether it be dingo or another species, if this is, it's a Bloody big hole, right? <laughs> and it's a <laughs> controlled space, so there would be yes. different species that could come back into that. Is consultation happening enough?
10: No, no. Only um, it's when they want to start planning the actual operations and process the approval processes before they start to destroy the landscape or extract from it. it And a lot of the times it's in the last sort of phase of, you know, prior to the actual mining operations that they start to talk to First Nations people. Um, So definitely, you know, we look at post-mining, no, not to my knowledge, um, across Victoria in particular, may well be in the Western states perhaps where there's a lot more mining and a lot more agreements with First Nations people, but... I mean, I know what happened up here in the mining in Oyun, um, the Oluka mines, where they were mining for um, minerals. After, um, after the, after the um, you know, they they dug out all the minerals out. Um, they didn't come back, come to First Nations fish owners to to rehabilitate the landscape at all.
2: And Brendan, if Indigenous. Uh landowner traditional landowners were consulted what kind of things do you think uh, first nations people might suggest to do with the land and with the water is there ideas that that you have about how the water might be used if it was reallocated to you or you had some control over the process
10: yeah definitely i mean you know first nations people we we own point zero point two percent of the water um, within Victoria and the murray Island Basin, so having having you know the decision-making powers over that water and deciding whether we want that water back into those holes or whether we want water into the wetlands and and waterways that sort of are adjacent to these mine sites are important. But definitely look to you know re- refill those uh, holes in the earth. Um, you know we've of natural and native vegetation and and animals. And it's all of
1: the adjacent waterways and sites that are just so vital in this conversation. Brendan, it's always wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for your insights. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Brendan Kennedy is the Deputy Chair of the Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations more ideas matilda morozzi on what we should do here lots of questions around but if you let water flow into that mine unfortunately the water will probably be polluted so no human use and that's right because some of the sites were being promoted as like uh, the world's largest and coolest swimming hole, you know, but that's not going to be the case either. And many people are saying maybe you could concrete it and create the world's largest wave pool as well. We need another one in Victoria. Thumbs up, says Jack in Kilsyth.
2: I think it could only be appropriate for swimming or recreational use if there was protection between the water and the chemicals that have been mined. you need some big gear membrane or something like that or some backfilling to, to protect the water so there's not seepage of some of those potentially toxic chemicals that would come from
1: the mine so it is lots of interesting suggestions and some that i would never have come no, up with Rochelle. but look it's going to be a conversation i mean we've only just started it today but as we shut down more and more coal mine sites all around the globe not just here in victoria what we then do with those spaces is something that the community is going to have to consider and someone needs to create that blueprint and there is an opportunity here for victoria to do it incredibly well